listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. My name is Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. We've got Isaac here making sure we're keeping factual on the back end by whispering into our ears stuff like, who's that person? What's his position? Why did you say that? No one gives a fuck. Um, <laughs> um, got a bunch of really cool stuff this week, actually. I think last week we... The last couple of weeks have felt like a really weird scattershot, to me at least, of a bunch of different stories that like have the veneer of importance, but nothing's really sort of coagulated and made people like mad about stuff i think is the way i'd put it i don't know we have the towers thing that was big yeah the towers got people pretty mad Pat towers got people pretty mad but then there was the week before that and then the week after that it was like oh yeah and you know that's still going and it sucks and there is a lot of that's still going that yeah. might be a sense of general nihilism at the moment though so yeah because i mean also just like to to pull back the curtain on the podcast a little bit like our whole process is we've got this Google Doc that we throw news items in as we see them throughout the week, and then we just spend all of Sunday morning arguing about which ones to keep because we've got <laughs> 16 pages of things that have made us outraged and we need to cut it down to three. <laughs> yeah. And then which one of these are just like, oh, everything's still fucked, we don't need to talk about that, and then being like, no, we do need to talk about it because nobody yeah, else talks fucked. about how things are still fucked. <laughs> and I think I think that's a bit of an issue is that... Uh, things like the news cycle and the internet click hole cycle um, rely on, oh, here's a new novel thing to be worried about. But but actually most of the stuff we should be worried about hasn't changed. It's the same stuff we've been worried about for the last 20 years. And mm. because the sort of media keeps trying to find new different things to be focused on. Oh, what? Someone said something crazy about Kanye West. Let's look at that. Oh, Donald Trump did a new crazy thing. Yeah, guys. But we haven't fixed all of the other shit. Climate change is still happening. Uh, you know, Donald Trump is, has been the same level of corrupt since day one. I honestly don't want to hear anything more about him except he tripped and died. Um, <laughs> like, they're all, oh, Donald too. Trump is, is promoting beans. I'm like, why is this news? <laughs> He's also putting children in cages. You don't seem to care about that. You're on beans now. Okay. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah, Christ! There was a thing out of Portland this week where the where the oh. like un, unidentified federal agents are like just black bagging protesters, right. and it's like, oh man, they're in this bean war. It's like, yeah. oh my god, this country—they're snatching people off the streets with no identification of who's doing the snatching. Yeah. God, thank God we're not an American podcast, um, or we would be. <laughs> We would have even more stuff to talk about. Uh, most yeah, of my we, American we... friends seem like they're all just getting really drunk and smoking a lot of weed at the moment just to deal with everything that's happening. So <laughs> I guess that's what that this podcast would be if we were over there. <laughs> I mean, my, my, the Instagram stories that I'm like just paging through are uh, my American friends being like, here's how to not get recognized to make sure that, you know, you uh, put black socks over your colorful socks so, because they'll identify you by your socks and, mm -hmm. you know, Vaseline over the front of a camera will blur it out and this sort of stuff. Oh, some woman got identified by a shirt on Etsy. It's grim. Mm. And I'm so glad that Australia will never be like America because our leadership values freedom and human rights and... Uh, is it, it is interesting you say that, though, in terms of, like, if you ended the sentence at our government values freedom, then they would definitely try to make the same arguments to that effect. But it just results mm -hmm. in, like, you know, our businesses could just do what they want. But as soon as you put human rights in, they just start tugging on their collars, like, oh, well, let's not get crazy. <laughs> yeah, the human rights for a business to employ a worker. That's a... <laughs> because, well, I think there's, like, freedom and then there's Walmart-branded freedom, a subsidiary of Disney. 
big news. Well, yeah, big news. Australia is not currently on fire, but when it is pretty soon, it'll be worse because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Oh, Didn't think yep. those two things were linked, did you? <laughs> when we say that, we mean that, uh, of course, the current circumstances of the pandemic will affect how we navigate uh, first preparation for the upcoming bushfire season and also actually fighting the fires when it comes to bushfire season, which should be starting soon. It starts like at the start of spring, so like August, September, something like that now. It starts really yeah. early. Um, of course, as the seasons not only are changing, but um, the conditions for which a bushfire is ripe to start uh, starts increasingly earlier every year. Mm. So what that means now is that in Queensland, where they would be due to be starting hazard reduction soon for the upcoming bushfire season, uh, they have to slow down and replan um, their measures because they have to implement things like social distancing, lesser staff. And as a result, the actual hazard reduction process will be done slower, which means that less will be done before the season starts. And also they don't have enough crew from overseas because no one can come into Australia from the affected countries from coronavirus. Mm. Yeah. If you remember the footage from last year of, of, you know, foreign firefighters arriving and us being like, oh, the heroes, you know, thanks for coming to help. That's, that's probably not happening as much this year. It's yeah. kind of crazy that like last year it was like, oh yeah, it turns out they'd ignored all of the advice about, you know, all emergency management and stuff from every person who knew what they were talking about for the last five years. And the only thing that's changed this year, a year later, is we say for the last six years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that they've also ignored the advice of, of other sectors like doctors and stuff. The biggest shock um, to They haven't me- even started rebuilding from the last one. Yeah. No. The, and the biggest shock to me was that... Um, like, I know that we hire a lot of equipment from the US, especially like our water cranes. Uh, everyone knows like the Elvis, the big water crane that comes through um, every year from the US. Um, it was really shocking to me that not only have we not followed through any advice to not purchase any of this equipment, we only have like one really serious um, firefighting piece of equipment that's been bought in like the last couple of decades, and that's the RFS purchasing a 737 tanker in 2019. And so that's Mm. for the whole country. (laughs) Yeah, there should have been an absolute spending spree on bushfire stuff, and I think there was a lot of promises. Didn't didn't Morrison say he was going to spend like $2 billion? Or maybe that was on on helping communities recover. In any case, it didn't get spent. Yeah, yeah. that's what that's what people got me. People are still living in like temporary sheds and things. Oh yeah, the people there are fucked. What what got me on the equipment was watching it last year, being like, "Oh, we really wanted to rent some things from America, but turns out it's taking a while because other places on Earth are currently experiencing mm. unprecedented fires, and we can't get the things on loan that we wanted." So holy shit. So, yeah, you would expect it to be at least, oh, we'll buy one for ourselves. It's like, no, no, the free market has figured mm. out that the best way to do it is renting. And we'll, we're going to, we're going to put a, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to put a, <laughs> a, a big helicopter on payaway over four installments. It's another one of those examples of things where, you know, preventing and fighting bushfires does not create a lot of profit for private companies. Like, no one is, no one is making their billions in manufacturing fire engines kind of thing. You would think that they could, though, because, I mean, like, we spend hundreds of billions of dollars on a couple of submarines for the military. Ah, military. Different. Can't they just, like, just, you know, they're like, look, we gave you money for the submarine, but we realised that the submarine is actually the opposite of a firefighting helicopter, if you think about it, and can you do a full pivot? (laughs) Yeah, a submarine creates fire underwater, whereas what we want to do... Yeah, is create water in the air. 
What we what we need to do is outfit these helicopters. So just someone needs to come up with a design where the helicopters can have cool missiles and the people that fly them get to use cool like call signs and stuff when they radio each other. But what we don't tell them is that the missiles are full of water and we just get them to shoot. So the hogs can just be like, oh, that's fucking sick. But we get to where? Yeah, we get to fight fires with it. And we can't call think- them things like Elvis. We've got to give them cool names like Destructor. Now, stuff. little kids, like little kids, love doing firefighter stuff just as much as they love doing army tank Actually, stuff. That's true. But I think, I think the problem, the reason that we're not getting budget, is that fires aren't from overseas. Um, <laughs> you can't detain fires. You can't detain a fire. You can't be racist against fire, and <laughs> you can't wrong- be a military strongman <laughs> by fighting a fire. Also, I think like, but. Uh- Putting more of a budget towards that equipment would probably also be acknowledging the fact that the vibes are going to get much, much worse. Yeah. yeah. They can't even admit that it was bad at the yeah. start of the year. Yeah. <laughs> They're just like, at the start of the yeah. year? No, 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 no. We're, we're, it's at the middle of the year. We're doing coronavirus now. Nobody has to worry about the bushfires <laughs> oh, because that's done. That's in the past. I just yeah. thought we're going to have so many fucking like right-wing commentators talking about now is not the time to talk about climate change. We have a pandemic and it is mm-hmm. so offensive to our doctors and nurses on the front lines to start talking about climate change and bushfires, okay? Well, that's t- 100% going to be the take in like two months from now. Speaking of our, our leadership being a bunch of bullshit on climate, turns out that if you vote for Labor, they're going to do much better. Uh, which uh, This is a, a news article from this week uh, where Anthony Albanese, the leader of the Australian Labor Party and the guy who would be Prime Minister if they voted the other party in in the last election, was like, oh, come on, can't we just get on with building the coal mines already? Fuck the environment. Uh, it, <laughs> Direct <laughs> that's, quote. That's his stated stance. Labor friggin' loves coal. His actual stance, this is in regards to uh, the Ackland coal mine in Queensland, which is a mine that they want to build but can't because uh, it needs environmental approval and every time an environmental <laughs> approval place looks at a coal mine, they're like, no. Yeah, are you fucking serious? <laughs> how is that? How are we meant to approve that at all? That's just red tape, guys. And uh, so they they keep coming back with the updated plans and they're just like, so we've made some revisions to the plans and the environmental approval agency is like, is it still a coal mine? And they're like, well, yes. And they, they do that and they come back for 13 years. And then eventually Albo's like, well, 13, they've been trying for 13 years. Just give them the approval, huh? Just yeah. let them go. Right. Cause Ugh. it's still a coal mine, but they've been trying for 13 years. Uh, his quote was, we support jobs and we support the resources sector. It seems to me common sense tells you that 13 years is an extraordinarily long period of time. We need to do much better, I think, at ensuring there are appropriate environmental safeguards in place, but making sure as well that you don't have such a prolonged period for the approval of what is an expansion of a project. Fuck yeah. like, off, This really wigs me Maybe the reason it's take 13 years to get approval is because they haven't met the environmental requirements because... Yeah, obviously it's going to be really bad for the environment. Like the idea that if I can just pester you for 13 years to get permission to punch you in the face, you really should relent. It's been 13 years now. Come on, man. Let me just sock you one. Common sense says 13 years is long enough. Come on. What? That does not make (laughs) sense in terms of it being a fucking proposal. Like, you are 100% right. It's not that you should spend 13 years trying to get something that just will not work and is dangerous through... For them to just have... And he's the opposition leader, too. This is what I don't understand. He's... 
fuck? It's well, just mind bending. Yeah, I've, I've got a, I've got a counter platform here, and it goes like this: We support jobs, and we support the resources sector. And it seems to me, common sense tells you that thirteen years is an extraordinarily long period of time. So just shut it down permanently. It's obviously mm. never going to get approval. Right. Done. Right. Common sense says it's it's a non-starter. No, this is one of those situations where they feel like they can litigate it to death and eventually the authority in charge will just roll over and say, well, fine, we'll let you do it. Yeah. <laughs> and this that's frequently what happens. It's part of a kind of a system where the whole system is geared towards allowing more industry, more business, more money, um, and there's no part of the system that is able to kind of just shut that down permanently to say, mm. well, too bad. This is the environments one. We're going to give them that. Um, and it really makes me think more than anything about like when you have a six-year-old who really wants something. They go, hey, can I have, uh, you know, a cheesecake for dinner? And the parent says, well, no. And they go, okay, what if I clean up all my toys? <laughs> well, no, no, you still can't. All right, all right. Fair cop. What if I clean up all my toys and I do the dishes? No, you what still can't six, have a cheesecake for what dinner. What six-year-old is saying fair cop? I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> <him. laughs> when he was six. Toys. All right, mate. All right, mate. Calm down. Calm down. And they and and a couple of hours later, the six-year-old goes, "Well, this is ridiculous. I've been arguing for two hours, and you still won't let me have a cheesecake for dinner. You are being unreasonable. What is it gonna take?" It's common sense, Lane, just yeah. to give the kid a cheesecake. Come on, Mum. I've moved all my toys to the Cayman Islands. You have to give me a cheesecake. <laughs> so on the topic of, of climate idiots, um, Australia's largest <laughs> insurance company has said it's going to stop insuring farms if they allow fracking uh, on their properties, um, which sort of has its good and bad points. Like, obviously, we should be discouraging fracking, um, which... You know, if you, if you haven't been following, basically most uh, fracking happens on farmland because farmers have the most land. And here and there you go, oh, there's an oil well under there. Gas companies come in. They say, we'll pay you a shitload of money if you let us put a big, dirty methane extraction facility on top of your farmland. It only takes up a small chunk of farmland. We'll give you a ton of cash. Um everyone's a winner except the environment and the broader world. <laughs> There's a lot of farmers who don't like this because a lot of farmers care uh, about the environment. Um, and that's the lock the gate campaign you might have heard of is farmers getting together saying, just do not allow any kind of gas stuff. Sometimes there are systems where the farmers get obligated to allow gas companies onto their lands to do this stuff because gas companies have a lot of sway. So this is a really big deal. This is insurance companies saying, this is actually a really bad, short-sighted and dangerous thing because this gas hardware, you know, when they decommission it, when they've got as much gas out as they want or when the gas company goes bankrupt, they often just leave these big leaky gas pipes, which can obviously have a lot of dangers. They can damage the land. They can affect the farms and insurance companies are sick of having to deal with that stuff. So this is pretty cool. This is, this is AIG, Australia's biggest uh, insurance company. And this is something to keep an eye on. I, I go on about gas a lot, but everywhere around the world, gas and oil prices are collapsing. Gas companies are going bankrupt. But, and this is something that is happening in the USA quite a lot where they have a lot of big oil and gas companies. When these gas companies go bankrupt because they're running a crappy business, they don't really care about anything except making a lot of money in the short term. They go bankrupt. They pay out these huge bonuses and then they don't bother to like properly cap their wells or seal them up or anything. So these leaky wells just leak out stuff. They cost $40 million to seal up properly. 
And the company's like, well, we're $180 million in debt. Uh, that's somebody else's problem. Bye, that's we're dissolving. Insane. That's fine. Yeah. I was reading about this this week as well. This is actually like a pretty canny financial scam Mm. where you, as your big gas company, set up a project and then as it's starting to wind down, you set up a tiny subsidiary that's like, you're the new bosses of this project. You sell it to that subsidiary for like a dollar. Then you're like, all right, now this subsidiary, they're an independent entity. It's their problem. Mm. They immediately go bankrupt. They were never designed to make any money. Like the, when you're like, oh, the gas company went bankrupt. It's not because of a collapsing oil price. It's because the parent company just set them up with no money in their reserve, mm. said you're fully in charge of the cleanup, and then fucked off. And then the, the, the little company's like, oh, well, we're out of, we don't have enough money for the cleanup. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what your job is, to not have enough money. And this is the same <laughs> thing you see happening with, uh, with like coal mines and stuff in Australia is they say, oh, we're going to set up this new coal mine, but it's okay. We'll also pay to clean it up afterwards and stuff. They have absolutely no intention of doing that. Of course Because not. there's no money in cleaning it up. Oh, but they've been having no intention for 13 years, Lang. Let's go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, yeah say, just- they say we'll clean it up. We'll pay the money to clean it up after we've done all this shit. We don't even ask for a bond. We don't even say, okay, pay us yeah. the clean up money up front. And then once you've cleaned it all up, we'll give you back any extra. No, we just trust them. At least, like, there should be a minimum of, like, Upfront, you have to pay like a, a, the government, hopefully, mm. or in a third party, the money to cap the well at yeah. the very fucking least. So if you leave or something happens, we can we can at least stop the natural like resource expulsion. Maybe yeah. it's like no, 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 but that, but no, but financially, we're going to do it differently. What a really mm. good system we've got, where where businesses can exist to not have money, and so it falls on the taxpayers to clean that all up. Um, and the taxpayer goes, all right, we've got to cap this well. We've got to pay someone to cap the well. Who has the materials, expertise, and equipment to cap a well? Any guesses? It's the gas industry. That's a big so <laughs> we. So the gas industry goes, goes bankrupt. The taxpayer has to foot the bill. We pay them to cap their own wells. So the fossil fuel industry is just a big scam to transfer cash from taxpayers to rich people via destroying the environment. Same as it ever was. <laughs> This is our new segment. It's called Stupid Money Bullshit Rapid Fire. So uh, this is this is a new segment um, that is kind of like a mix of like no, corruption I'm, I'm, Mitch, and Mitch, you've already spent way too long on Stupid just... Money Bullshit Rapid Fire. <laughs> Come out this week that Clive Palmer was charged with fraud by ASIC just essentially because he was moving money around in ways that he wasn't supposed to for things he wasn't supposed to. And uh, I... I precisely wanted to put this in because I was talking with my partner about this only a couple nights ago and we were getting ourselves very, very angry at 1.30 in the morning being like, remember that time Clive Palmer just admitted that his whole election campaign was just because it was better that he spends money on an election he doesn't want to win than lobbying or donating to government. And he just fucking admitted it. And has it's never been arrested for that, has never it's never come up. People are just sort of like, oh the it's system bullshit. works, sure. Yeah. Surely that's I've had a loophole oh, that allows me to spend sixty million no dollars on an election campaign. This is not rapid fire. We don't have a conversation. There's no rules. Shut up. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he's finally been charged with fraud, and it's not on that. So our democracy is safe and secure. 
Next up, the Auditor General's investigation into the water buyback scandal came out. That's Barnaby Joyce and Angus Taylor being a little bit too close to the government, spending a huge amount of money on some water that doesn't exist and profiting companies that they have had historical involvement with but haven't personally benefited right now. Um, So the investigation into the buyback scandal came out, uh, finding that the negotiators did not use a value-for-money approach for procurement, but they didn't commit any crimes. So basically the, the headline here is, you know that super dodgy thing that went down, but everyone involved was careful and hid behind Cayman Islands shit so you couldn't pin anything on them directly? Well, the report is out and the investigator concluded that, yeah, it was super dodgy, but couldn't pin anything on anyone directly. We did another episode a little while ago that was just a big deep dive into Angus Taylor's various involvements. Uh, if you want to hear more about that, just listen to that. Former Australian War Memorial Director Brendan Nelson defended $498 million for War Memorial Spruce Up. And uh, I love his claim. He claimed it would help uh, the veterans' mental health. Um, so I, I just, I love, I'm so delighted by the idea of a self-care War Memorial. It just, okay, the, you could spend all that money on mental health services for, you know, soldiers suffering from PTSD, but I think a War Memorial will make them feel a lot better. Mm. Anyway. And that's half a billion dollars, yeah. <laughs> yes, half a billion dollars. <laughs> the historian Peter Stanley said it was the museum equivalent of hydroxychloroquine, which is basically, yeah, like, oh, let's just throw any old shit at the wall and see what sticks and see whether <laughs> anyone accepts that. He clearly doesn't care who believes it. Yeah, yeah, I think this is the segment of just people just brazenly throwing shit out there and seeing what they can say. What they can get away um, with. Stupid money bullshit rapid fire. <laughs> and it's now over. Well, we don't cover war crimes a lot, but here's some war crimes. Uh, Australian <laughs> soldiers absolutely do them. Um, the uh, ABC. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I wish <laughs> it wasn't so. I wish it wasn't so. I just wish you didn't make it so jaunty. Was it too jaunty? <laughs> this is just how I say everything. Climate change is going to kill us all. Uh, <laughs> is a 10. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so ABC Investigations did a really like good chunk of real journalism here they found that australian soldiers were murdering civilians in our various uh war-torn bloody invasion points um and then planting weapons on them to take pictures and claim they were enemy combatants um and they got sprung because they planted the same weapon on several different guys um and you could yeah that's that's yeah it that's, had a tape that's a red around the barrel yeah speaking of brazen yeah. that is a really bad attempt at covering the gun too. just put some tape around it well this is another occasion of people who didn't think they would ever get caught i think people who go we can get away with whatever we want who's going to stop us we've got the whole system on our backs yeah, yeah. um and yeah. and they interviewed several troops through some journalistic magic um and yeah it's this is common practice when there's some dodgy shit you just kind of cover it think, up, plant a weapon, say it was fine. And it's the same thing you see police doing in yeah, America. I, th- I, I think for me, this this whole article, um, which, by the way, will be linked over on the website. All the show notes there are fantastic. Go check them out. But this report, the paragraph that sticks out to me is the fact that they bothered to include the nickname for those fake weapons and radios they were throwing on people. Oh, they were, what they, they call it? Oh, yeah. they're, called, they're called throwdowns. And oh, I can't yeah. help but think that that's a journalist like- just like throw, like just putting that piece of information in there, so the people that know in the defense force and the government is just like, oh fuck, they do call them that. Oh, that's legit. Oh, mm. they have been speaking to people that know. Like mm. it's just a little wink and a nod to be like, yeah, we know what you fucking called them as well. Mm. We know what you 
we know what you called the AK-47 Australian Defence Troops kept on them to plant on people they shouldn't mm. have killed to make it look like they should have killed them. And it's also, this is obviously not just a couple of bad eggs, like people would claim. This is something that's widespread and common enough that they have slang for it. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Who'd have thought that soldiers would be doing murders? <laughs> Just, yeah, this is the I'm thing blown that, away. This is the thing that got me. Like, I want to talk about it a little bit more in depth. But when the war crime stuff came out last time as well, and all of this, all these people were shocked. That it's like our valiant knights serving mm. in the Middle East were valiant ha- knights ha- have done have done things <laughs> unbecoming of their station. It's like we're training people to be fucking murderers. What do you expect? I think yeah. people like, didn't sorry. internalize a lot of stuff from like the Afghani and Iraqi wars. Like they don't realize what people are coming back with as well like it's not just what they're trained for it's like the kind of the mentality that you get you know when you're forced to face you know a battle and then coming back from that it it it, yeah just it's the disconnect between what people perceive the army to be and the reality of it and then that's why they Mm -hmm. get surprised by things like war crimes and, I mean, this has been dating back to the Crusades kind of thing. It's also worth keeping in mind that the government raided ABC Sydney offices and they also raided the home and offices of a, um, a private company journalist who was reporting on war crimes committed by the Defence Force. Like, mm-hmm. like, quite clearly there was more shit to uncover and there was a concerted effort, effort from all parts of the government to try to stop that shit from coming out. Because, I mean, obviously there's very big political ramifications for, you know, military are bad and have wanting to deny that as long as possible, especially because mm. a lot of people in government have ties to the military, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's it's national security. It's like, oh, well, if people know that the Australian Defence Forces are committing war crimes when they go overseas, that'll de- delegitimise the military, and then we won't be yeah. able to spend $200 billion on submarines. Or even mm. just, like, keeping we'll our have to borders. start buying firefighting helicopters instead, <laughs> and where will we be? But even, even so far as, like, the reporting that was out years ago when they were, like, they showed that the burner accounts of some uh, Defence Force personnel just posting some of the most horrendous racist oh, shit yeah, about, um, like, asylum seekers coming over. Like, Can't wait to blow them the fuck up and just turn them back and they should drown. And it's like, mm. they try to hush that up as much as possible because you really can't have those people... Also, being the valiant knights, as I call it, that are protecting Australia's borders, etc. Our diggers. Yeah, and they're also just corrupt as hell. Uh, The story came out recently that the AFP. Uh, have been using the Clearview facial recognition system, which is which is this thing that they're not meant to use, and that's like you can hunt down people's sort of social media. It's it's using that facial recognition thing. You you give them a picture of somebody, and this machine algorithm finds that person and everywhere they've been. And uh, McLean, correct me if I'm wrong. Is there more to it than that? It's about that. Yeah. Um, they're not meant to have been using it. The media asked them if they were using it. They said, no, we're 100% not using it. And they were using it. Yeah, straight up lie. They knew they were using it and they said they weren't. Thing, the, thing, the thing for me is just that they didn't even bother trying to find wiggle room when they lied about it. Like, usually there is some honour amongst, you know, the people in higher up part of governments where they will like not they won't tell a lie no that was the joke line they oh, won't okay. tell a lie <laughs> they'll figure out they'll figure out a way to tell the truth without actually telling what you like did you use clearview well i personally mm. don't know anyone who has used facial recognition software at a university campus 
Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll be like, well, oh, yeah, Clearview hasn't been used to close any cases in the last six months. Yeah, and or like, have you used it? Ah, oh, well, using it would be illegal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the running thread here is when people are powerful enough, they just stop bothering to even excuse themselves properly. They just say, yeah. whatever, we'll throw out any old statement and who's going to bloody check us on it? We're the AFP. Yeah, when asked whether they were using the Clearview AI, AFP spokesperson responded, yeah, what the fuck are you going to do about it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone's horny for Dan Andrews. I hate this. I hate this. <laughs> the Age dropped an op-ed by Monica Ducks um, on Friday night to appear in the weekend paper when everyone was super drunk and on Twitter looking for something <laughs> to make fun of. When we least expected it. <laughs> uh, just a gift from the heavens that Monica Ducks was horny for Dan Andrews. In oh. oh god, it's it's amazing. Like I actually just astonished that it was allowed to be published, but it, it's from a fine trend of being horny for politicians. I remember a lot of um, op eds um, from New York that um, earlier this year where people were really oh, horny, about- horny for Andrew Cuomo for some reason. Yeah, yeah, that, that was, was so weird. Because at least it, in my mind, this whole thing sort of started with um, Better O'Rourke in the sense. Oh, yeah. And, he, and that started because he was hot. <laughs> it started with like, look, he might be one of the most milk toast nothing politicians, but he can ruin my back walls any day. And people were like, <laughs> yeah, horny for it. I, I can, and then it just. You can trace this back. It's West Wing syndrome. Like, I mean, West, West Wing uh, syndrome yeah. is like a broader sort of diagnosis, but one of the yeah. elements is is that you cannot express your admiration for someone's political actions in a way that's any way other than, wow, I really want to bang this person. Like, <laughs> is, it, is it like a liberal thing where you can't say, absolutely. I respect an authoritarian strongman, but you can say, I find him weirdly hot in a dad way? Absolutely. Yeah, I want to be dominated yeah. by an authoritarian strongman. It, and it happened to Obama. It happened to Trudeau. Like, so mm. I just remember yeah. so many liberal middle-aged women being like, I just want Trudeau to hit my back walls. Like, <laughs> really upsetting. Is part of that a context thing? Because someone like Obama or Trudeau, who are decent looking in real life, you put no, them in a mum. down lane. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> if you saw Obama... I'm, I'm not going to mention my back walls, but if you saw Obama or Trudeau walking down the street, you'd be like, they're a normal, decent looking person. But if you put them in among, you know, world leaders who are mostly raggedy old men... Um, yeah, you put there. There are politics ten. I just don't you put know. Obama. There are politics you, ten. you put Obama next to Newt Gingrich, and yeah, I also want to fuck Obama. <laughs> I think it's it's the inability to just discern what your feelings are for a political leader. Like I mentioned yeah. in the last episode, that as a kid, I like one of the politicians that I really looked up to was Natasha Stott Despoja because I thought she looked mm. really cool. She had a big Doc Martens, and like my identification with this person was I want to grow up and be like them and be as cool as mm. her. And for, I think, a certain point uh, from the 2000s, like this whole fascination with, you know, barely competent liberal politicians Mm. manifested (laughs) in I really want to bone them. And so this is like like it's gradually like I feel like a lot more people are less uh, inclined to do so, but it still manifests in weird ways. And now it's just manifested in like this gnome creature being <laughs> Just viewed as a sexual object by Monica Ducks. I don't. Gnome, gnome creature is is a strong one. I would say he's a he's a level one human farmhand. Kind of, kind of 
does. He's got. He's got. Yeah. Yeah. He does have that build of like. Yeah. Hard. Hard work in the land. Absolutely, the most disgusting <laughs> night I have spent Level on Twitter. Just. Just people talking about how much they want to fuck off Whitlam. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. I think. Yeah. I think I'm, to just, a degree, I'm just picturing just Dan Andrews now just sort of like looking right down the barrel of the camera and being like, hello, adventurer. <laughs> Please help me chop down 15 native growth trees and I will give you 10 gold pieces. All right. So do, do we want to hear an excerpt from this uh, yeah. horn bag? Okay. Spiritually, no. But yes. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I, I, I'm not a smoker and I don't have enough vocal fry, but I really want to give this a bash. The biggest love affair of my teen years played out in my imagination. I was 16 when I took a shine to Kenneth Branagh. I thought he was marvellous. Infatuation set in after I saw him in Henry V, a film he both directed and starred in. I was so entranced by it and its maker that I saw it 20 times. Which brings me to Daniel Andrews. <laughs> does it? Does it? That's I've not always a considered him to be a solid, effective premier, yet he never shone with the charm front. And he's certainly no pin-up. He usually appeared physically awkward in his interviews, not so much a daggy dad as a daggy dancer who needs to be led discreetly off the dance floor. Yet, when COVID-19's crisis struck, I suddenly found myself transfixed by his media conferences. It was like the old movie cliche, the scene where the awkward woman takes off her glasses and lets down her hair, and the leading man suddenly realises that she's actually been incredibly hot all along. Dan had stepped up and he was suddenly hot too. No! Strictly in a leadership sort of way. Oh! I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. But just like the, the idea as well that like, oh, I love a man who locks down oppressed minorities in government <laughs> housing. Mm, send in those troops. Take me to lockdown for. You can approve my drilling any day. <laughs> Do you reckon it's just some ISO horn happening? Oh, it's to a degree. Just, I think it's there's a degree of ISO horn in there, but I like... was I was actually going to say I reckon from the first lockdown. Like, ISO horn was a thing. It turned into a thing. And oh, I reckon sure. we've now got a Pavlovian response to lockdown because this article came out so fucking quick and it's targeted at a fucking golem of a human who's a terrible fucking piece of shit. So I think it's just like, we're locked down? Oh, I'm pent up. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And just clacking away on the keyboard, getting frustration out. <laughs> Everyone goes all sex in the city. Um, yeah. As Daniel Andrews locked down the towers, I couldn't help but wonder... Is he sending police to my front door? I don't know. Um, but in a way, I think this this does that thing where it humanizes leaders and it says, "Ah, oh, they're pretty hot," um, and and to a degree that that almost excuses parts of their leadership because, yes, yeah, Scott Morrison is is killing the planet and specific refugees, but also he makes a bloody good apple pie kind of thing. He's yeah. a daggy dad. It's mm. propaganda. To a, and to a degree. This is the thing that we were talking about before we recorded, but, like, this wasn't... Like, it, some of the defences come out about, oh, don't you have a sense of humour? And then some of the left were going, like, I don't think now is the time to laugh about this sort of thing, which is a right-wing talking point, so that's fucked mm. up. But yeah. it's not about, <laughs> as, as like... The, as the host of this podcast, it is the time to laugh at this sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's always never not. the time to laugh. But I think that that's... This is the, this is the weird thing of, like, this wasn't a joke about... 
finding a politician hot. It was finding a politician hot and posting it in a jokey way. And it wasn't even posted on like a satirical website or a joke website. It wasn't part of like SBS comedy. It was just published in the age as an op-ed of just like, like right next to what does the lockdown mean for the economy? And right like before, like looking towards your like summer vacation, here's what you can expect. It's like Dan Andrews, drill me. (laughs) Now, Mitch, you say that it wasn't posted on a joke website, but then you say that it wasn't. (laughs) Waka, waka, waka. News has come out today that masks are going to be mandatory in Melbourne and the Mitchell Shires. Just like throwing that in there, the Mitchell Shires. Um, Where from is that? Wednesday, who it's cares? the Sydney um, area that's also been uh, a bit of an outbreaky hotspot. No, that's yeah, Mitch's yeah, yeah. serfdom. Uh, <laughs> hello, everybody. <laughs> Wear masks. Masks or face coverings in general um, mm-hmm. are mandatory from three days from now. For context, mm-hmm. when we're recording it, so you have you know three days to trawl Etsy and get a mask four sizes too big for your face as what happened to Evie. <laughs> You've got three days to everybody rush out to the shops and, and pick up a mask. You've got three days to go and lick as many door handles in Turek as you can, <laughs> as long as you live in Turek and are exercising at the time. So um, there is new discretionary fines uh, that the cops can give out and they are stoked on that. They fucking love oh, giving yeah. it. They're hoglets for giving out fines. Uh, $200 They're not giving fine. out masks. They're not giving <laughs> out masks. <just> fines. <laughs> Yeah, no, they're not. <laughs> They've got their little book and they pull it out. It's like, here's what's going to help. It's like, oh, is it a mask? Is it a... No, it's a fine. No, no, no. Um, it's a $200 fine for anyone caught without a mask on mm. their person. So there is actually... Um, you can get medical exemptions from it. You can also be exempt from wearing a mask if you're, like, jogging in some instances. Mm. They don't have, like, a clear list. But they do say... Oh, also things like teachers don't have to wear masks That's while insane. teaching. That's but they insane. do need to have one on the way like to and from like school or the place of work or whatever. So if you go out in public and you don't have a mask on you, you can be fined for mm. it. Um, mm. which is which is great news for Victoria because we currently lead the country in uh, COVID fines, handing out more than three times as many as Queensland, which is the next like highest fining state. So we're just going to keep ratcheting those fines up more and more and more. And I'm going to make a very bold prediction. I'm going to make a prediction that I, you know, oh, this is this is a crazy thing to suggest. It's going to hit the poorer communities the most because well, what Dan Andrews, that, hey. that big fucking virile Specimen of a man. So he, he has essentially given cops more discretionary powers to hand out more fines, but hasn't at all changed where they go out to just go on patrols. Except, of course, for when you lock down a fucking, you know, a government housing building. But the reason why these fines are hitting the poorer communities the most seems to be because they aren't changing their patterns. They aren't patrolling COVID hotspots or anything. They're not going to fucking Brighton. They're not going like past Frankston with all the rich suburbs on the hills. They're just staying where they are. But now they've just got more excuses to be like, oh, actually, you're breaking the law. Have a fine. Fuck you. Oh, and like just stating the obvious as well, like chemists, I think we talked about it previously, or I've talked about it on Twitter as well. Um, Chemists are Mm. jacking up the prices of masks through the roof. Like it's it's hard to get like anything more than like twenty or thirty dollars for a ten pack of disposable masks now. Just as a, as a quick thing on that, I'm, I don't know if I mentioned on a previous episode or not, but there was a chemist near me that was selling individual single use face masks for four dollars each, and I recently had to go into that chemist the other day to pick up my own meds, and the sign is still there. It's a handwritten sign, four dollars per mask, but now there's an additional sign underneath it that says max two per customer, which yeah. is just. 
Yeah. Oh That's the one. I'll add another one underneath that says, if you don't, you can be fined $200. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Time to save money. Yeah, but it's uh, a little story that I thought was actually kind of funny in a schadenfreude kind of way is there was a Mel... Actually, if you may know a little bit about this, there was a Melbourne office, uh, this law, big law <laughs> firm, H.W.L. Yeah. Ebsworth, are a key outbreak. So the funniest thing about H.W.L. Ebsworth is that one of the partners basically said he didn't want them to be like lemmings um, Mm. in following everyone and wearing a mask. And, of course, now they're a hotspot where several uh, co-workers um, have now been tested positive and the building has had to be deep cleaned. Uh, I just (laughs) – I'm so aghast at the idea of a law firm looking at the risk of being sued by, like, their own employees in the future, which is absolutely going to happen for millions of dollars – and being like, yeah, cool, let's just do it anyway and see what happens. This is insane. I'm, I'm looking at this article now. The, the managing partner said at the time that he had no intention of, quote, blindly following the lead of others like a lemon. Yeah, he actually mm-hmm. said that. You, you're not following them blindly, bro. <laughs> you, th- nah, you're man. following them because nah. it, it checks out. Nah, fuck nah, it. I'm on a wuzz. I'm going to come up with my own ideas. Oh, so, so your choice is between not doing a thing or doing a thing. Oh, well, f- fucking I'm going to choose myself. And then they're just stuck in this emasculating position where they can either do what everyone else is doing because it's the only sensible option or just being incredibly fucking stupid, but staying manly. Ah, because they've pinned their honour on it. Very nice. The Australian ran a headline saying Black Lives Matter protests spread coronavirus despite it definitely not. Even Uh, in the article it said it didn't. It's just the headline that did. So the headline said... BLM protest numbers worse than feared. Victoria's health authorities reveal a growing number of positive tests linked to the BLM protests in Melbourne. And then in the very article itself, it said, there is no evidence to suggest they acquired the virus from the protest. Currently, no known or suspected episodes of transmission occurred at the protest itself. Yeah. And they're only aware of six cases out of the 10,000 or so that attended the protest. Attended the Melbourne protest. And those six cases are... People attended the protest, and then six weeks later, they tested positive for coronavirus because they got it somewhere else. Hmm. That 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 is the story there, and they're like, "Oh man, it really seems like if you attended the protest in Melbourne, the the, the real the numbers going up of of people who are getting the the virus." It's like, yeah, because there's a fucking pandemic. No. There's a lot of people at the protest. That more of them are going to get the virus even from now. Yeah, a lot I of people am. with the virus also eat bread. <laughs> bread linked to coronavirus? <laughs> oh, the number of bread cases is going up. <laughs> I um, I mean, the thing for me about this story was that, uh, like, there's been shonky media practices for however long where they can try to run what they want and then they can retract the story or they can they can issue an apology or they can you know turn to a uh, point to a turn of phrase in the article saying, oh, actually, we covered our bases here. But I'm just wondering how much over the last five years and continue on for the next five, ten years, how much those apologies and retractions will matter less and less. Like, mm. oh, yeah. like well, they like matter that, zero already, yeah. yeah. But that, And that's the thing. How much worse is it going to be? Because now we're seeing, like, people... Most people, I don't know, I don't actually know how um, legitimate the studies were, but there's been some suggestion at least, and it seems anecdotally true. Most people just see a headline and click share 
and they mm. spread it that way. So mm. at this point, we are now at the point where like media companies are just going like, just write an inflammatory headline. Fuck it. Doesn't even mm. be clickbait. It just needs to get our point across. Then we can just contradict that in the body of the article. And if we need to, later on, we'll also issue another apology, but we won't post that with a headline. So no one will share it. Well, and it's like, also that uh, it's also that the uh, yeah the transmission source of these articles is like in the old days if you published a dumb front page on your newspaper and people read that and they got the wrong idea you could publish a retraction in that same newspaper and a lot of those people would read it because that's where they're getting the news it's from the newspaper but now if your story gets out there on social media i see a story because it got shared from someone who got shared from someone who got shared from someone i'm not going to the site sometimes to get that story and so if they publish uh, a take back or, a, or an apology it's not getting shared uh, and I'm not seeing it at all. So it just doesn't work. Um, and even when they do publish something like this and we all go, oh, it's obviously dumb. It's the Australian or the Herald Sun. Um, it still makes it into the bloody media cycle because all of the other supposedly more responsible news sources spend all of their time talking about it. Yeah, you having the, to correct it. Yeah, you get the ABC or whatever going, oh, a lot of people think Black Lives Matter is linked to coronavirus. That's obviously dumb. But then people go, oh, was it? did people say it was linked? I wonder what that was about. And now you're reinforcing the myth. This this BLM, like, protest coronavirus link thing also has this sort of weird other side that the there's a lot of people on Twitter uh, that I've seen that are, like, countering the BLM spread COVID narrative by really like seizing on the fact that it didn't spread it right which like it's factually true that it didn't spread covid but i saw somebody commenting on the the blm spread covid article being like can we put this idea that the blm protests were a bad idea to rest they were safe sort of thing and it's like they were not safe they were a huge risk we're in the middle of a pandemic and it was a thing where thousands of people were gathering together and obviously the organizers of the rally went to extreme lengths to get the the sort of safe behaviors out and all the attendees you know were really careful around not spreading the virus but that doesn't mean that it wasn't a risk in the first place or that it was it fine wasn't to do in a pandemic the the point is the fact that the black deaths in custody number keeps going up like black people continue to die in custody to this day there have been mm. multiple deaths in custody since the protests right mm. and so you're like look the reason that we're holding the rally is not because it's safe it's because it is more important to hold the rally than it is to be safe. Yeah. And, you know, it's a testament to them that no cases did get spread. But even if cases did get spread at the rally, that wouldn't have undercut the fact that you're having the rally to protest a real, very important issue. There's not like, oh, it turns out it was safe all along and you guys were worried for nothing. No, they were worried for a good reason. It's a high risk of transmitting the virus is having a big rally. But sometimes having a big rally is more important. So in his recent press conference, Dan Andrews also said that about 80% of the new coronavirus cases since May are being transmitted in workplaces. And that's pretty interesting because that's not the narrative that you mostly hear. You mostly hear people being irresponsible. It's parties. It's people going to the beaches. Blah, blah, blah. It's workplaces. And workplaces are the main thing that's exempt from the lockdown laws. He's saying, you're in lockdown. Don't do anything except going to the shop, doing exercise, but of course go to work. If you need to go to work, go to work as much as you want. Any kind of work. If you can't do it at home, go to work. I don't even care what it is. If you're working in a bookshop, if you're bloody washing dogs, 
We don't care. We don't care what you do. If it's something about the economy, you go and lick those dogs. And so, of course, we're getting cases. We bloody need to be locking down work, uh, non-essential work more. And this is partly driven by the fact that the government has refused to say any work is non-essential. Yeah, they're they're just way too broad about what essential is. Like, I mean, haircuts are not essential. I'm just going to say it. Just everyone can get shaggy. Like, whatever. It's fine. Just put all of the hairdressers on... Job seeker, a job keeper, whichever one, yeah. you know, just give Hair, them money so they don't have to work. Haircutter. Homemaker. Haircutter. And just let everyone get shaggy. It's fine. Bookshops, non-essential. Order your yeah. books online. Yeah, it's a, it's this, even economically, what would work really well is if we just fucking bore the brunt of this for three weeks and mm. shut down pretty much everything. And then, like, if, especially if we did this, you know, months ago, to really try to stamp it out and then slowly reopen parts of the economy. But now what oh. we've got is this open economy that they're trying to, like, uh, freeze parts of just for small periods of time. But people don't work on this. Lang, you mentioned it a couple fucking episodes ago. With like, I do not work in the suburb I live in. I don't mm. shop in the postcode I live in. I don't yeah. get... None of it works like that. So this idea of, like, well, you know, you can, you can only leave the house... For essentials, you have no reason to leave the house unless it's for work, for care, and for some exercise. But the hairdressers are open, and the bike stores yeah. are open, and the jewellery <laughs> stores are open. But but don't leave the house unless yeah. it's essentials. Well, what the fuck does that mean? And I think we mm. mentioned it uh, back when the first lockdown started, like five months ago. Um, God, um, that <laughs> that a lot of a lot of workplaces would rather be properly locked down and have this weird middle ground where yeah. it's like you can still stay open um so you're not going to get all of the allowances you could get if we forced you to shut down but also no sane people are going around bloody just buying clothes and shit right now except in emergencies the only people going around buying clothes are the small portion of the population who don't give the slightest shit yeah, I'm going to say, if you're running a jewellery store, every customer that you get at your jewellery store is someone who is not taking the virus seriously. That's yeah. the only kind of person that's coming to your jewellery store. And and so, these shops are still having to stay open. They're still having to stay staffed. They still have all their overheads, but they have only a small portion of their income. They would love to be properly shut down with all their staff on JobKeeper with their overheads down. Um, and so, this is not helping the economy. This is just a blatant kind of business as usualism. Yeah. Some of the oil in a pan has caught fire and Dan Andrews is still trying to, like, cook dinner on the other three plates on the... It, it makes me wonder, it makes me wonder if he's starting to feel the pressure of, like, other states um, expressing their desire to, quote-unquote, live with the virus. I know oh, Gladys Bielkin oh is trying to do that and Scott Morrison himself has tried to express that too. Like, you know, the whole, well, eradication is not the key, we're going to do suppression. Yeah, mm. he 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 it's said sociopathic. New New South mm. Wales is proof that the best way to go forward is to live with the virus and open up the economy. So no, mate, that's luck. We're in yeah. a pandemic. New like, South Wales has no cases, and also their numbers are going to go up really quickly, very soon. Yeah, they've yeah. They've, they've looked around right. the world. They've gone okay. Let's take some examples. New Zealand eradication. Tasmania eradication. America tried to live with the virus, <laughs> but we bloody like America. They're our big friends. <laughs> Maybe Trump will think I'm cool. <laughs> Maybe we can live with the virus just as long as everybody gets the app. Um, uh, the <laughs> <laughs> McLean, McLean, of- wake up. We've got the COVID safe app. Get out of oh, bed. Wow. We- 
so there's a journalist, uh, Avani Diaz, who has been doing a little bit more of a deep dive into the story that we were talking about uh, last week about influencers on TikTok uh, promoting the COVID safe app. Uh, just uh, doing a bit of uh, calling around and figuring out what was going on. And she revealed that the influencers promoting COVID safe on TikTok, TikTok, <laughs> on TikTok, were paid $600 a video by the Let Us Play industry group. We're so old. Uh, none of them that she spoke to knew that the app wasn't working as advertised, and many of them didn't realize that they weren't dealing with the government, they were dealing with an industry group. So this is just like, even though the TikTok teens are pretty cringy when they're just being paid shills for a, a, a let's say, a, a, a corrupt fast that exacerbates a pandemic to line the pockets of uh, consultants. They, 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 they don't realize that they're doing that. They're just being like, oh, wow, I'm, you know, 19 years old and then somebody's just offered me $600. Hell yeah, yeah. I'll say some stuff. Yeah. It's the most money I've ever seen in my life. Mm. Yeah, the, the thing that, one of the big things about it is that they are exposed Explicitly saying the things that the government can only implicitly hint at, like mm. some of the some of the videos are saying genuinely inaccurately, and I personally reckon deliberately misleadingly, they're saying that the app will keep me safe. If you have the app, it will keep you safe. It traces people with COVID, and it just it doesn't work like that. And the government it doesn't work. They so- keep putting out propaganda trying to convince you that like, oh, I mean, you know, if you have the if you have the app, who who knows how this good let us will be. play industry group. So this is exclusively run by businesses. It's not authorized by any government agency or anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's not it's not a government initiative. It's 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 a bunch of health insurances and a few other companies who right. have okay. banded together to be like, let's get everybody out. Okay. Let's raise everybody's health insurance premiums by making them very sick for the rest of their lives. <laughs> but again, it's like the stuff we talked about in um, Rapid Fire Money Bullshit of like, yeah, it's not technically illegal and the companies are technically not the government. But yes, 100%, they all know each other. They all talk to each other. They are all trying to work to the same ends, even if there's no expli- like even if there's no email thread that we could find between staffers and secretaries, which mm. I reckon there fucking would be. Like mm. they are still they are still together. It's in the same way that energy idiot Angus Taylor will work with the fossil fuel industry that his family is a part of. Oh, technically it's different. It's fucking not. It yeah, is the not same thing. <laughs> I don't have anything to do with it. It's also just very revealing um, because this is a business lobby group paying people to download an app, which is hypothetically, you know, theoretically not really related to businesses at all. It's a health app. But of course, it is related to business because they're pushing the thing that if you have the app, you can go out and do business. Um, Mm. And whenever a big industry concerned entirely with their own profit is pushing something which seems entirely unrelated to their industry, you've really got to look a little bit closer at what that thing is actually trying to do. Yeah, <laughs> just, just the smallest amount closer. Shoutouts this week. I've been reading a little bit of Boiling Cold, which is the project of this journalist, Peter Milne. It's the project to investigate energy, industry, and climate. And it's just a bunch of interesting articles. It's it's pretty neat. Uh, there was one that he released uh, that is my information about uh, talking about how those gas energy bankruptcy things are basically a financial scam. They set up a subsidiary company that is designed to not have any money and it's designed to fail immediately and not have to pay for uh, oil cleanups and that sort of thing. Uh, but it's just that kind of general investigation into those things. It was pretty neat. Actions for this week. So 
as we talked about earlier, um, in metropolitan Melbourne, we've been told to wear a mask. Um, so wear a mask, but also don't snitch on your neighbours or random people for not wearing masks either because there's a $200 mm. fine. Just just kill the cop inside your brain. Yeah. <laughs> just give them a mask if you care that much. Yeah, or yeah. talk to them and just, ex- like, you know, have a conversation with them and explain what <laughs> from the a situation. Distance, from a distance. From a distance. <laughs> and with a mask on. So don't wear a mask. <laughs> have a conversation and, like, you know, talk about the situation rather than immediately calling the cops. Yeah. However, Unless- if your boss is stealing your job seeker and job keeper allowance, definitely snitch on them. Oh yeah, and if your boss is making you work in an unsafe situation, you should probably uh, snitch on them too. That'd be great. <laughs> or if you see a cop not wearing a mask, <laughs> <laughs> go tell his partner who's standing three feet away from you. <laughs> they never bloody wear a mask. They never bloody social distance. I, I sent an email. I sent an angry email to the police minister and the health minister last week <laughs> saying. Seen a lot of photos of cops not wearing masks and not socially distancing. Guess what? I didn't receive a reply. No. <laughs> Action. Ask the federal health and uh, pol- the state health and uh, police ministers why they haven't got back to me about uh, <laughs> police wearing masks. Um, uh, another good action that you can do, this is not a, a police or corona one t- uh, directly, but it's a it's a real good climate one. Uh, we've shouted it out uh, in, in an episode, I'm sure, previously, but it's, mm. it's always worth it's always worth reminding people, is to divest your banking from fossil fuels. A lot of the big four banks donate to fossil fuels. All the Huge amounts of money. All the big four. The rest of the big ones, yeah. they um, love and, giving money to fossil fuels, and you and cannot your, do that. And your super as well. Um, the big four banks super. are still persistently donating money to stuff that's directly destroying the environment, and it's really, really easy to change. Um, with your super... super any super company will do all of the work of moving your super because they, they want your money. So mm. just find a super that you think is good. Um, Market Forces has really good comparisons. There's several that don't invest in fossil fuels. So you can choose. Just go to them, be like, here's my details, and they will do all of the work of moving all of your super over. Banks are a little bit trickier than super, obviously, because your bank always has money going into and out of it. But um, But what you can do if you can't, some of the mental energy to shift that all at once is just open a new bank account, which is the easy part, move as much of your money across as you easily can, and then bit by bit transfer all all of your other like incomes and, and outgoing. The main thing is that all of your money isn't sitting in a big fossil fuel investing bank. If if they just have an empty bank account, they can't do anything with that. The mm. point is that they have your money and they spend it on fossil fuels. Yep. Same with the interest on your debts. Uh, banks make money off your debts while you have your debts with them. So if you can transfer your mortgage, if you have one, you can definitely do that. That's a big income source for banks. And uh, you should punish the banks that invest in fossil fuels. And this is the best way to do it. When they ask you why you're moving it, tell them it's because you invest in fossil fuels, you piece of shit. Yep. Don't you care? <laughs> Um, the person at the other end of the phone line is just a telemarketer. Be nice to them. It's not their fault. They probably agree. But, you know, tell them to pass it along and, and don't don't mince your words. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. You can shoot us an email and we'd love you to. Uh, notgoodpod at protonmail.com. We're also all over social media at notgoodpod. Please uh, share it around with people you think might like it. Share us on all the socials. And like I said, get in touch. We really love hearing from you. I would I will not be accepting abuse for my reading of the horny article. <laughs> <laughs> not good enough is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Uh, we want to pay our respect to their elders, past, present, and emerging. 
um, and to acknowledge that this land was never ceded 